Listen, a prophet is never late. He always arrives just as he means to. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was a wizard. Also true. Okay. I'm but one in the same. I'm a space yeah. wizard. Space cowboy? Some people call me Maurice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Welcome back to the Such Nerds podcast. I am Jason from Connecticut with my co-host this evening. Uh, Dan from Los Angeles. And we are bringing you episode five of our third season. In this episode, we're covering chapters 15 through 18 of Isaac Asimov's foundation novel, Second Foundation. And I think we have a few fan mails, actually. Or Some listener. fan should, mails. I'm yes, sorry, I always say fan mail should say listener mail because we never know yeah. it's going to be good, bad, indifferent. Actually, this week we have some not-too-vitriolic mails. That sounds fantastic. Okay, let's start it off with this one. So, dear such nerds, I must have missed it, but who in the black holes of space is Kaiser Shose? Is he in the novels or was he some kind of historical Prussian ruler? Can you please explain your name drop? Uh, not to ruin it for anybody, given that it's 26 years old. So Kaiser Soze is a movie character from the film Usual Suspects, which came out in 1995. Uh, so he's not in the novels. And as far as I can tell, he's not Prussian. Um, although the etymology seems to be uh, allegedly a Turkish warlord from the movie. But the reference has to do with the fact that, not to ruin the movie for you, but throughout the whole time period, he's this mysterious sort of... Uh, leader figure that everyone has has sort of afraid of and he has sort of his superpowers and this crazy backstory and um you know he puts himself out as to somebody that's not actually what he seems up front the character that, that's pretending to be him is kind of unassuming when in actuality he's controlling things the whole time it's like an enigma in the throughout the movie and then in the end you find out who he really is kind of like our you know our journey with the mule and as magnifico you know, the mule is this enigma, and in the end, we learn who the mule actually is, right? But the whole time, it's like, is it him? Is it not him? Is it somebody else? In the same, a lot of the same beats that we're talking about, where, you know, he's 40 feet tall, and he shoots laser beams out of his eyes, and he's all right, superpowers. Right. I think so it was 37, had... though, Dan. Not yeah. quite 40. Anyway, just, regardless. Shy, just shy of 40. Maybe if you're round. Yes. Okay. Sure, around I guess. Maybe the metric shy. system, so you, can, yeah. you never can tell if conversions are correct. But the same thing with Soze, where, you know, he's this crazy figure that all this story about him. And, you know, he, the person who actually pretends to be him is very unassuming, kind of like Magnifico is just, you know, kind of a pathetic figure a little bit. And as it turns out in the end, reveals himself to be controlling things the entire time. So, so I, I apologize to anyone who hadn't seen Usual Suspects, but still a very good movie and, and maybe – Get to get to the movies in the in the twenty seven years between when the movies <laughs> to when they well unquote. to be fair I mean it was it was hugely popular like when we were teens and and twenties and everybody knew Usual Suspects and it was like they showed it on TV and stuff but we also you know are in America and you know isolated from whether or not 
other cultures th- around the world also appreciate that movie. They may or may not. And so I think in respect for the kind of the global footprint of the world famous Such Nerds podcast, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, it behooves us to offer a little bit of uh, backstory there on that reference for our audience, no, especially sure. the loyal ones who've been with us for now, what, probably eight episodes since we started talking Kaiser Soze. <laughs> so yeah, long overdue for an explanation. It's, it's very... <laughs> worldly of you and i apologize for being so provincial in my in my outlook <laughs> hardly but it's a, it's it's a, an easy an easy oversight so no worries typical ethnocentric americans yeah what can we say <laughs> well i appreciate it. thank you for your email and we got got some more that aren't even gonna make the cut so maybe we'll see some more next week well you know i'd like to take a moment first and to uh we've had a late Late but very important entry to this evening's episode. So uh, for my other co-host from this point forward of today's episode, uh, do you care to introduce yourself? Hi, this is uh, Peter from Long Island, and I was supposed to be your host tonight. (laughs) But uh, due to uh, a series of explosive events at home, I have... uh... I've arrived a little bit late. So. And Peter was also arrested, and that's why it sounds like he's calling from prison, because he's actually, we actually can't see him. He he actually dialed in with his one phone call, um, and so he's uh, he'll, he'll be able to join us for, what is the limit, 10 minutes, Peter? Yeah, so I, I'm allowed uh, 15 cents. Uh, gets me about 40 seconds of the call. So thank you so much, guys. Good night. <laughs> All right, thank you for switching mics there peter yeah no problem the uh prison guard helped me out there you he, go. Uh, he's a big there fan of the podcast he's got you uh, his he's name is hooked you up with his, his iphone his name is timotheus groove i think there we'll see go. some uh some fan awesome. mail from him next week excellent so i would also like to take a chance to invite our audience to please uh share your thoughts questions with us at www.suchnerds.com we appreciate the mail and keep them coming say on caldan the tin doesn't mine itself right is that on caldan caladan 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 which i believe is where the spice (laughs) is is a major currency calling caladan where peter has sent his children after their antics earlier do you want to take your hand at the summary this week? You know, Dan, I will do my best. I can't guarantee uh, that I will quite achieve your level of uh, sophisticated simplicity, but I will, I will certainly give it a try. So if you recall, we left off with our new protagonist, Arcady, on the way to the spaceport after escaping from the clutches of Lord Stetton and Lady Kalia, who we learned is a suspected second foundationer. After buying her ticket to Trantor, Arcadia encounters an excessively intrusive couple also traveling to Trantor who insist on helping and seem to be successful in avoiding her capture by apparently bribing the police. At this point, Lord Seton has launched an attack on the foundation. Meanwhile, Dr. Durrell continues to engage with his cohort of specialists when the very policeman who let Arcady go shows up to inform him that she is safe and that the police sergeant is actually a Foundation agent. Ironically, he also appears tampered with according to his brain scan, indicating that Arcady's escape was likely contrived by and probably beneficial to the second Foundation. 
out in the blackness of space between Calgan and the Foundation territory after the destruction of the ship, the Hober Mallow. Foundation appears to be losing the fight, losing their confidence, and feeling spread thin and vulnerable. From her safe refuge with Mama and Papa Palver as the couple that shepherded her from the spaceport on Calgan fashion themselves, Arcady gets wind of the war from, that's right, newspapers, and convinces Papa Palver to make a trip to Foundation to profiteer. As he's getting ready to depart, she makes known her true intention, which is for him to carry a cryptic and esoteric message to her father. Five little words, as he says. At the end of these chapters, the Foundation has been beaten back to the original four systems of the Salver Harden era. Thanks, Jay. That's pretty good, Jason. Thanks, guys. I mean, it was no Dan performance. But that's for me. <laughs> Pretty good. I, well, think was, I think it was better than a Peter performance, but it's it decent. was no Dan. Yeah, well, it like, was delivered. It's like a, it's like a silver. It was like a silver performance in the, in the Such Nerds uh, podium. Yeah. I clearly did not read a chapter I was supposed to. <laughs> so that was very informative to me. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> no yeah, I did the same. I read your summary and I was like, oh, we were supposed to read chapter 18 too, huh? And then I read chapter 18. It, yeah, um, I read the 17 a lot thinking there. I was doing something wrong. So I was like, I'm cheating. I'm reading the two <laughs> yeah. pages of 17. Yeah, you were trying to read it. You were just so concerned about reading ahead that you read behind. Uh, right, Exactly. I feel like I need to be true to myself and my audience because this is yeah. my audience. Let's be real here. My I think, audience it was, I think it was pretty good. You know, that like the points we've made before about Isomoff, the, the writing being, you know, there's a, there's a good deal of suspense and interest and in sort of the plot lines being developed. And, you know, it's almost like you have a real story that you can sink your teeth into instead of the previous books where it was very jumping around and short and hit and miss. So, yeah, I mean, I felt even at the end of the last chapter, I felt the desire to read ahead to find out what happens at the train station and they start following her and then they, the, the gates drop down, you know, there's all the suspense about it. Yeah. It was a very strange, like a, you know, it's like a laser grid almost, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like well, it's like, like isolation murder radiation grid. It sterilizes yeah. everybody. That the policemen can all just walk through at their leisure. Yeah. yeah. The, that part of it, I was going to get to that later, but ultimately like they say it descends slowly to sort of, engage fear in the citizenry to sort of the, the impending doom. I don't know why for the general people who have done nothing wrong, that's necessary to just torment them with these electronic gates. Isolate that are, them in these yeah. laser rooms. Yeah. Laser obviously cubes. never lived in a dictatorship. <laughs> I clearly have not. Um, and then, but the, my favorite part was that after they, they talk about the gates going down and everyone's concerned about that. They have to worry about the neuronic whips. Yes. Term. Yeah, the neuronic whips. Break out well, later. I, that and I love like that bit major hole in the security system is like the bathroom. Right, right. They're like, they're oh, there's like, just go there's to the like restroom. 20 women in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, so many women in the bathroom. And you can, yeah, yeah it's another thing. You can, like, you can like walk through the grid if you have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, but, that was the part I didn't quite get. Yeah, it was like a little bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> he felt himself conspicuously isolated, but knew that to move into the greater anonymity of a group would have meant crossing one of those glowing lines, stirring an alarm, and bringing down the neurotic whip. He waited, and that's fine for him, but then his wife just pieces out to the bathroom, apparently before <laughs> the gates come down, and then later comes back out of the bathroom 
crossing all manner of lines to get back into his gate without any sort of, you know, that any sort of whips. no neuronic <laughs> whippage, no alarms, no no one yelling at them, other than bad-mouthing the cops, which it sounds like when she got back, the cop was like, this mouthy woman, your wife? He's like you know, shaking his fist. Typically condescending rage. male Asimov. This old, <laughs> old woman. women. <laughs> Yeah, I felt like, you know, I, I agree, like, it was, it moved pretty quick. I think it was a good chunk of, you know, of the balance of the book. And after this, I think we're just going to, like, polish it off to the end because it feels like it's a lot of that um, stage setting for the uh, for the switcheroo as you get towards the end and the big surprise, right, the big climax. So it's pretty, you know, consistent with the better portions of the past books that we've enjoyed where he really kind of gets you questioning like what's going to happen who's going to do what to whom and when and how are they going to survive the clash and we've kind of um you know bounced around a little bit but it's all kind of parallel stories that are developing well next to each other yeah i mean for me it was just like a lot of a lot of stage setting and uh i guess storyline wise there wasn't really there wasn't like many big, like big idea portions of these chapters that jumped out at me as like that's like a, a big strategic you, thing. You got Ar- Arcady's dad. You got like Arcady's dad, like like completely mind scrambling himself about what he needs yeah. to be doing. Right? He's like, oh, well, then the foundations thought of this, but then they thought of the fact that I thought of that. but but they knew that i knew that they knew that i would know that they'd know that i knew yeah right exactly yeah Yeah. he's 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 going meanwhile arcady's the one who passes out like in the train station from a panic attack you know well i mean it's 14 and the cops are coming to get her and you know i'm not not, gonna arrest her and she's gonna get returned to be like a concubine i can't imagine that that uh that would be child bride yeah i mean you know it's like you talk about we talked about uh job of the hut um last week but but um solo yeah doesn't sound doesn't sound great so i can understand that but what do you think we're building towards with this uh climax that's coming up real fast on us guys any any speculation? Well, it's clearly a crisis, right? I mean, this is like it's a war against Foundation, and they've like the Cal the Calganian, um, you know, attack has basically regained all of the Foundation territory that they had seemingly you know secured over time, over the past three hundred years, and now they're back to like three hundred years ago level of Foundation territory, first Foundation territory. So, but what if yeah. we find out the the foundation was inside of us all along. <laughs> the second foundation. <laughs> it's not about the foundation you lost. It's about the foundation you made along that the way. Might, you know, that thank you for saying that, Peter, because there was one fleeting thought that I had that I wasn't sure if it was like even well formulated enough to really dig into. But, you know, I thought it was interesting that if we look back at when Arcadia has her moment with Lady Kalia, and a quick glance from Lady Kalia and Arcady knows she's a second foundationer. It almost seems like Arcadia has this kind of ability to sense others. Like she 
the guy at the window. Say it. You can say it. Lady Kalia. You know, she has this weird encounter with these two farmers from Trantor. And it's like there's this kind of emotional connection through each of these events. It's like maybe she's a sleeper second foundation or she doesn't even know it. Right. Mm, maybe right. Durrell is is in the same boat. Maybe he's in this genetic line of second foundationers. They they don't even realize it. And, it, yeah. you know, maybe it's like going to come out of them at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and that was we talked about that last time was that the idea that maybe Beta was you know, like a wayward daughter of the second foundation, right? Yeah. Somehow. Maybe she's the Kwisad Haderach of Isimov's world, which is male focused. And the, the crossover is the, the woman who can do, who can connect yeah. also with her masculine side. Like, you know, Paul mm-hmm. is like the man who can be a Bene Gesserit. Yeah. Right? The Bene Gesserit are all dudes in Asimov's in, world. In Asimov's world. It's like uh, the, the, the flips flip side of the coin and they don't wear robes they're down to the skin they're just down to the skin <laughs> speaking of which poor Herbert Mallow <laughs> yeah I had that same thought you know it's not yeah. Herbert Mallow himself you know right. it's just his well, yeah. his memory it's probably yeah the SS Herbert Mallow lit up, yeah. lit up like a victory cigar somewhere in space <laughs> now that now his his whole crew is down to their skin yeah that that they're down to their space. No, I mean it's down to their atoms. like uh, radiation. It's like the I guess that's the event that kicks off the war. Is the disruption was, of Over Mallow? It was a trader ship, right? I don't think so. It sounds like it's a warship named after Hober Mallow. Yeah, it said that it, they, the Calganians tried to board it and they didn't answer, and so they basically blew it up. But it, they never tie it back, even though they mentioned it later about the shape of the Calganian controlled space versus the the foundation controlled space whether they were in and I, maybe i missed it whether they were in foundation space or they were in calgadian space when they had the encounter like who would be it was an act of aggression on behalf of the calgadians because they were near the foundation i don't know if it, cl- it clearly puts that one way or the other did you guys catch well, that i mean i thought it was implied heavily that it was a calgadian aggression well clearly after stetton and is all ginned up to carry out the violence. You would think that uh, Lady Calia would be able to prevent some of this if she really is a second foundationer. If she didn't want it to happen. Well, yeah, exactly. A lot of that chapter goes into that fact that maybe they're... Yeah, maybe, maybe this is their opportunity, right? It's basically like a coup of the first foundation, and then, you know, you have this, like, easily manipulated, manipulated warlord sitting, like, on top of the tyranny, and then the second foundation kind of controls him loosely, which is the start of their two citizen style empire that they're proposing. I mean, so do you think that the the communists are going to win in this one? Or do you think that the moral of the story is that uh, true blue capitalist pigs are going to win and save the day? Capitalists always win. Even when they lose? Especially when they lose. (laughs) Uh, You know, they're still really having fleshed out exactly how the how the second foundation sort of entirety of that the operation works yeah. they're always just kind of working in the shadows a little bit right and we also looking at each the... other and knowing yeah go ahead peter the knowing glance surreptitious wink right <laughs> sardonic looks exchanged sorry i mean I'm, i have a bad I'm habit of interrupting snark. is it is it my turn yet <laughs> It is now. Okay. All right. I'll go. So now. anyway, 
So we've lost the trail. Moving on. on. <laughs> on <laughs> so we've lost the trail of, remember the conversation with the first speaker of the second foundation and his, you know, his protege that he was grooming. They had this problem with the Selden plan that he had identified and he had tasked his protege to go and find the solution because the way it was at the, the at that moment was kind of towards certain failure of the plan, almost certain failure, very high probability of failure. I can't remember exactly. But... High probability of failure, but I thought it was a very low probability of occurrence, if that makes sense, right? Like it would be a total disaster if it happened. And so we need to figure out how to fix this, but the probability was very low. Um, I, I don't think I put that together. I thought it was like there was two options and they both kind of lead to, uh, like the original plan had two kind of paths and they both led to the failure of the plan. So they had to garner like a third option or something like that. Maybe I'm getting confusing the first speaker's solution and his proposed problem to his protege. But in any case, I think the, the point is that they, they exposed this chink in the armor of the Selden plan uh, that puts it at risk of, of failing. And then we kind of, it, like, Isomop dropped it, and we've been talking about Arcadie and her quest through Calgan uh, into the back to Trantor. It's still not clear if Calgan is where the Second Foundation is centered, or if it's, maybe it's on Foundation, maybe it's is it on Trantor? I don't think so, but I, I guess we don't know that it isn't or isn't supposed to be, but I'm starting to think it might be on Arrakis. That's just a hunch I have. <laughs> it's actually on Caladan. It's on that's Caladan. Why, that's where the Atreides family left Caladan for Arrakis because they knew that's where the Second Foundationers are trying to undermine their. Uh, it's the perfect place to hide it. Yeah, it's an entirely different novella epic. universe. An entirely different epic that hasn't even been written yet. Yeah. Clearly Genius. futuristic. Because it's only 1954, right. as you remember. Hence all the nucleic. I, did, I didn't remember. I forgot. <laughs> I keep forgetting when this was written. Like I'm always like, ah, oh, yeah, it's like the 60s now. Right, right. Peter thinks everything was everything Eisenhower did is in the 60s. So we still love you, Peter. Well, it's it's like going back to the mail piece. You know, we talked we talked before about Kaiser Soze. We I saw usual suspects before. <laughs> reading foundation but in actuality foundation came first so kaiser Soze is liable to be an artifact of the mule rather than vice versa we don't refer to the mule in this kaiser Soze. kaiser Soze is probably you know reference of the mule since Isomov came first even if i didn't read it first so it's a little bit backwards you're very right we should start yeah. calling it uh i don't know what are we going to call it? Mule suspects. The mutual suspects. It's, that's terrible and also hilarious. Fantastic and also not. <laughs> sounded better before I said it. Hard, and very hard to pronounce. The mutual suspects. Very hard to pronounce. You just kind of, kind of like force it out of your mouth, Jason. You know, interestingly, you know, we talked about the names. I'm sorry to bounce around here, but we talked about like the names having meaning. And uh, it just occurred to me that Magnifico and the Mule both start with the letter M. So I wonder if that was like a, a subtle hint. That Maybe. Some late in there that we totally overlooked. Mm, mm. Interesting. Mesmerizing. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you've got an excellent point there, Jay. Is that uh, I think we're probably going to come to that point where um, the second citizen or whatever we want to call him 
is uh or the second speaker is going to be scrambling for some last minute answers because the uh plan a and plan b both fail and now he's gonna have to find the third way or the middle way some would call it a golden path is what they're actually searching for <laughs> maybe <laughs> i think so. <laughs> so one that won't lead to the fate of a uh, to the destruction of humanity you know yeah it depends golden in whose perspective i guess really comes down to some uh, one the one with the minimum amount of suffering right i think that's the goal suffering is kind of the point you know you can't get anywhere without the, the whole point of this the mules quote-unquote golden path is that he's trying to get a shortcut to the to the next sort of golden age and it's hard to 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 avoid peter's points have been trying to avoid what's so bad about the mule is avoiding the suffering for everybody but you kind of need to have some suffering in order to actually achieve something i think yeah. that's what it's like the trial by fire that we talked about in the very beginning and then the other thing is not to deviate and go back to our dune podcast but you know we saw the oppression the effect of leto the second was a reign of peace for like so long that nobody would argue that his reign led to the like the most peaceful era of human history but at the same time it was like stifling progress and stifling evolution if you will you know you live in a perfectly fascist society like and as long as you just follow the rules nothing goes wrong but you know it's when you want to break outside of that that box it becomes a problem again i'm just going to go ahead and say the mule was right and the biggest flaw in his plan was that he was sterile, right? That was, that's where everything <laughs> yeah. went south. Spo- spoken yeah. fatal. Spoken like a true oligopolist. <laughs> I mean, I am trying to open some franchises. Some might call you so a fascist, Peter, but but I won't. Well, good because I I don't believe in uniformity. I just believe in you donating in donating control. money to my cause. <laughs> He's, he's, he's I'm really more of a king, provided he is the authoritarian. Right. I'm the top of the pyramid of enlightenment, not of the money scheme that I came up with. And why not both? Because <laughs> uh, if you find okay, no, paperwork, I think if you find the paperwork, you'll see that uh, one Jason will be at the top of that pyramid when the when the uh, the government when the cops come when the FBI yeah, starts chill, investigating. Chill they call the bag man. <laughs> Meanwhile, somebody else will be in Barbados. I don't know what's the extra what's the extradition treaty the U.S. has with Barbados. I want to find a little bit something yeah, a little bit more complicated. Do a research, yeah. That is that, that's our other podcast on embezzlement and avoiding <laughs> the long arm of the U.S. law. Totally. Different. I hear the Maldives. That's your different men's time of year. That Peter's in. That's why I'm calling from prison this week. That's because you're calling this prison phone call, and on that prison phone call, talking about committing additional crimes and <laughs> country. Probably not going great with regards to his defense of his his prison. Listen, I'm not real worried. Field. Nobody listens to this podcast except for us. It's like throwing back to our intro that not to ruin the usual suspects more, but they they met in the police lineup. With Kaiser Soze, and so Peter's just fulfilling the same prophecy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, five little words. What are those five little words? What could they possibly be that Arcady told Papa Palver to bring to her, her actual Papa, her dad, Daddy Durrell? I'll I'll tell you what my five little words would be. I didn't do the reading, so I have no frame of reference. <laughs> Yes, and she'll and he'll know what she means when he tells yeah. her 
I didn't do the reading. Okay. I was thinking that it was like, oh, the second foundation is on blank, but it's it seems like she's got something that is a somewhat secret code related. But how about, something about, how about war, I, second foundation. I found them on Tranter. That's gonna be my yeah. That's five words on Tranter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I counted before I said it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I think it's got to be something subtle like that, or at least more subtle than second foundation. Yeah, is exactly. On yeah, was, I was thinking the same the first thing. Five words I thought but, of, but it's not subtle enough. Mister, not Mister, not so subtle one. The place where mom died. Like wow, look at you. Like playing. Oh, I didn't know you were so good at counting five. 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 Peter. Scrabble here. Jeez, Mister Hangman over here. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this until I, I get one that's really funny. How about Bring Me Solo and Wookie? <laughs> <laughs> giant Jabba the Hutt voice. Yes. Bring me Solo and Wookie. <laughs> me to Zabi do Jabba. Jabba no Baba. Yeah, no. Is that a yes or a no? Maybe. <laughs> Peter, I was kind of hoping that you would think of this on your own, but I'm pretty sure that our Katie told Papa Palver something along the lines of the like the the end of the chapter, what was it, 14, which she said, I am the most important. <laughs> I figured you'd have thought yeah. of that. <laughs> well, yeah. I am the most important. I mean, that would be true. That would be true. The, yes, the, your five-word epitaph that you would tell—it goes without saying. Here lies say the most important. They already know. They already know that you're the most important. Well, you yeah. Tell people. They already picked that up. Since I have no ideas, and Peter's got great phrases that aren't correct, what do you have? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was kind of in in your boat. Dan with the second foundation is on X, you know, whatever planet, Calgan, Tarantor, Terminus, Caladan, Arrakis. I, you know, like I, that's where my head was at. There's no subterfuge in that, though. And then it was like, no, it can't be the word second foundation because he was like surprised, mm. but he wasn't confused. Yeah. So. It seemed like a very simple phrase. The crow flies at midnight. <laughs> Give me some iced tea. I'll have a number seven. <laughs> it's clear that he, he's like, because he says like, oh, he's like, I'll just write it down. She's like, don't write it down. And he's like, well, I can remember it. It's just five words. And then just five little words. That's all it is. So they're not five big words. So he, she didn't use a thesaurus. <laughs> Baby, I've got your money. <laughs> So I think, like, we're kind of up in the air. We don't know what these super secret five words are. They mean something to Dr. L. It's going to be a zinger at some point. He's going to get this message from Papa Pulver. Some light bulb's going to go off. It's going to be another, you know, twist in the plot. It's not going to be clear to the reader, I'm imagining, right away. And then it's going to make sense towards the end when it all comes together. Uh, you're skipping past an important point in this one. When has Darrell paid attention to any, like, she's going to say this phrase, He's and he's going to pick up on it. He's, like, the least observant <laughs> person in the universe. He's not even going to notice that the guy's even talking to him. He's, he's so lost in his own thoughts. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, we're just going to have this, he'll get it, and he'll understand. I'm just like, he's completely, I guess, 
he seems to care for his daughter, but he seems to ignore most everything that goes on outside of his own head. But they had that secret code in the letter that she left as well, right? Like she wrote it a certain way as if, and he was like, oh, she wrote it as if. That means that she's okay and I shouldn't try to contact her kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe they have this like, maybe they are both second foundationers and they have this like subtle, super emotional connection that they just say like a word here and a word there and it like resonates between the two of them even though he's like ears are dead to other people or something like that i don't know i was reading it that part more like him going like han pritcher in terms of like getting so far deep down into his own brain about well if i do this then they think this and but they'd already thought that and back and forth you know him sort of his mind unraveling a little bit um it didn't seem to me like he was totally with it because he kind of couldn't figure out what he wanted to do. And Anter tells him to go find his daughter. And he's like, well, that's just what they want me to do, you know, and I won't do that because, you know, that's what they're they're intending for me to do. And it seemed like he was just all over the map. Wait until we find out his brain's being overclocked by uh, Anton or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you never know. That guy is kind of assuming you might have the part to play. And the other thing that, you know, has me thinking is do we know when chanis all right chanis chanis the manis was uh had his own brain like reformulated by second foundation to think that it was somewhere else than it was like do we know that he would have had a brain wave readout that would have a plateau in it or would it just like look like a normal brain because he's been completely reprogrammed he hasn't been edited like these manipulated minds have been that they're getting these, you know, I forget what it is. Like, I mean, this technology didn't exist like in any kind of mature electroencephalogram. I'm just more curious, like kind of from a technical standpoint, uh, when they unwired his brain, like did that brainwave pattern come back? I would, I would imagine that it would. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think the mule would have had a flat spot because they eliminated like the idea like second foundation could exist, right? They eliminated that thought from his persona. Mm. But Chanis, they reprogrammed him to have this whole new reality, right? That Rossum was the second foundation and he was to play his part with this whole Tazenda thing. What if, you know, the whole time, like Durrell and arcady they're like reprogrammed second foundationers that have submitted their their minds to the second foundation and they don't remember it because they've been reprogrammed i don't know I'm, maybe i'm i'm taking it way i think you're kind of reaching here on trail. this one i'm reaching because... pretty far i guess but because like there's no indication that um beta was like a second foundationer right and then her son has like hated the second foundation as long as he can remember and then this is kind of the first mention that I guess Arcady has had of any kind of exposure to the Second Foundation, even though apparently her father's been working diligently in secret for decades against this like hidden enemy. Yeah, and he's also we didn't dig into it much, but he's also like building some kind of contraption, a manifold of hyper relays that he can yeah. swing from his belt. I couldn't quite piece together what was going on there. I think it's yeah. like a tinfoil hat you can put on. <laughs> <laughs> it's tin-based 
uh, shielding mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Except for it's you know you have to protect the most important part of you, which is around the loins. <laughs> to avoid yeah, it's kind of like he's trying to find out if he can get the hi- enough hyper relays in his regular course of business to have fifty hyper relays that are like belt size. You know, that just have the, and have it happen in a way that doesn't raise any suspicion. How, how do you like? Make that happen. Like, that hey, seems uh, so far fetched to me. I'm like, what? What is Darrell out of your? Do you have any hyper relay? Like, can you be cool? And yeah, he's like hyper relays. He's like, relays. no, I'm not regular ones. Super tiny ones. I need lots of them, and <laughs> I just need it to be totally kosher that you're getting these through your regular yeah. sort of right. tiny Don't raise the suspicion belt, of second I'm gonna order regular everywhere, relays. but I'm gonna pay you a little extra, and you're gonna yeah. Tiny it's like hyper space. Relays. We're gonna embezzle fractions of a cent of hyper relay over the top, and it's totally fine when you add it all like up. Like Superman three, yeah, millions, like Superman three. Of dollars. Is that Superman two? Two. Can't remember. I don't know. One it was those. the one with Richard Pryor. It was Richard yeah, Richard I haven't Superman seen three. Superman, so whatever one it was, it was the one that they referenced in my favorite movie, Office Space. Yes, one that of was my one favorite. I, I was refer, referring to Office Space. Not. Yeah. I saw that movie in the theater, like in seventh grade, and I thought it was funny. And I thought it was funny then, and now I'm like, this movie is so was so much better than I even thought it was. Like, we well, didn't realize it's. Like, I mean, it's a, a Mike Judge scene. It's like uh, idiocracy is the same. You watch this movie and you're like, this is a great idea. What a strange concept. And then it's just like, no, he was just so clairvoyant in terms of the the beats of the society. <laughs> Like see the future. It seemed yeah. so far fetched and so futuristic 15 years ago, and now it's like, nope. It's not even 20 years. It's just basically like right. and man, man can see around corners. Talk about <laughs> notable futurists yeah. like like Asimov. Um, I wonder, and, and he's even got women in the movie. He's just really a savant, the guy. <laughs> Watering crops with like, quen- like thirst, yeah, with quencher. thirst quencher. Brondo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's, what, it's, what it's, it's what plants crave. <laughs> uh, what if you tried yes. watering them with water? Salt with salt. <laughs> but that's another story. You want to talk about brutal, efficient leaders? President Camacho is your man. That's who you want. Not he's not going to be folding hexagons, drawing hexagons. And oh no, he's paper. definitely he's definitely taken over the entire. He's episode. a man of action. Unlike he's something. shooting, he's shooting like you know. A uh, AR-15s then to the open air in Congress, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's just to draw order. That's not. But yeah. Where are we? Where? Are we, how did we get to this? Oh, embezzling hyper relays. Yeah. So these like special technologies, like in the past, right when uh, Chan is founded on the ship that they were exploring for the second foundation, he's like, "This is a government secret, right?" So it's like secret technology. And he's collecting it in mass, right? I'm holding back judgment on this stuff because Isimov keeps tricking me, Don't. right? He keeps playing mm-hmm. the fool, and then he's like, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I'm not that yeah. dumb. Listen, you got you know? to go all out. <laughs> yeah. Don't hold back. Don't withhold judgment. Give me all the judgment. Well, the judgment There's... that I've had is that Darrell is out of his mind, and he's shown nothing to the contrary. That Zero initiative. Like, like yeah. a mad, Zero. complete mad scientist. You know, just like caught up in his work. But he seemed to have a little bit of a sense that he should keep something secret from this uh, Anton guy, right? Is it Anton? What's the guy's name? Anton? Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. keeping this Helios hyper relay. Andor. 
Anthem. This manifolded hyperrelay mechanism, whatever it's going to do, he's not telling Anton about it. He's only consulting his old crotchety physics guy that he's, he's friends with, right? Yeah, well, I think... Do you think the fact war, that he has a Russian name is part of the reason he doesn't trust him? Isimov is, is of Russian descent. He's a Russian Jew. So I think his name sourcing is from familiar type names. You know, this is still a little bit pre-Cold War in terms of the real height of it. So, um, but ultimately, I, th- I think that's uh, wise. Wasn't the Red Scare like in the like in fifty-eight? Yeah, but this, I mean, the, yeah, in but nineteen fifty-four. It's, oh, it's are we still, still in fifty-four? Okay, we're we're yeah, it's still a little. Yeah, it's kind of it's right it's right after the like a year after the Korean War ended, which was sort of you know neither here nor there in terms of Russian engagement, but it was well before the space race and the nuclear uh, buildup and stuff. So it wasn't as paranoia, but anyway, like I think it's wise of maybe Durrell not only trusting people that he can trust in it's like war footing, which I get, but um, it's what I'd call it the war footing. You don't, you know, it's basically operating on, on war footing where he's, He's not sort of he's keeping things close to the vest. He's he's not he's only dealing with people he absolutely trusts rather than just people like Anthony just showed up at his house randomly, uninvited. To Outside his daughter's Anthor. window. Not Anton, Anthor, right? Anthor, yeah. yeah so I think sorry. his name was. Regardless, I, I right, thank I, you for I, getting I the Anthor for us. Because he doesn't know, you know. He doesn't know who he can trust. So I think we're kinda of up in the air. Nobody has kind of a prescient prediction that is magically sensible oh, beyond I do. refute. The, the second foundation was inside of us. Oh, all yeah, along. that's right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Thank you for reminding us, Peter. <laughs> and you could be, you it could wasn't, be right, actually. Like, it's actually the most, you know, a, a pretty sensible potential outcome. I, I also really like it's not about the foundation we lost, but about the foundations we made along the way. <laughs> sure. And in the end, exactly. the foundation you take is equal to the foundation you make. Ask not what your, your foundation, foundation could do, do for, you, for you, but what you could do for your foundation. It's one small step for foundation, one giant leap for foundation kind. Peter, you're not asking me to compete with Dan, right? Because I just, uh, I just can't. I just gotta bow and. All I'm asking respect. is that you. Um... You make a feeble attempt. Why don't you just make up feeble. five words? Just say Jesus, five I words. Don't know. I don't know. Just say five words. I am not going to pay a lot for this foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the foundation? I had this thought the other day. I was, I was going to start a career writing jingles because I, I thought that my efforts on the podcast were so successful with the intros and the outros. and. Mm-hmm. But the only jingle that consistently comes to mind... <laughs> It's just the best part of waking up, foundation in your cup. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to go with And just replacing uh, the word Folgers with like every other product is... name that I can think of. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with by foundation. <laughs> by yes, Menon. Uh, exactly. Menon. Whatever happened to Menon? Did they like get bought? By That's somebody? still around, I think. By Menon. Yeah. 
Let's and see. I don't know. Let me check my thesaurus. Who is the company that doesn't make the things you buy, but they make the things you oh, buy? Oh, BASF. BASF? Yeah. yeah, the chemicals, yeah. Yes. Menin got bought by Colgate-Palmolive, by the way. There you go. Menin is a brand owned in most parts of the world by the Colgate-Palmolive company. Its most notable product, Menin Speed Stick, with its Fougere perfume and green white stick, was the U.S. market leader among deodorants and antiperspirants for many years. Thanks, Google. By Google, you mean the such nerds contact interface if you send an email to us via our website we might read it and then i can consult my wife and then report on the podcast for the outcome of this brand that you're speaking of yeah and tell you what google says or or you can google, <laughs> i guess if you're old new fashion but yeah so i was uh you know i'm still not sure like who's hosting tonight if it's me or if it's you peter but i was kind of thinking maybe it's time to hit our technology most ridiculous technology yeah use of tobacco the you know okay. i was going to suggest yeah. that too so it's perfect timing i think the first technology that jumped out of me three pages in was the entire paragraph that was dedicated to the ticket machine that can count exact change and produce <laughs> a ticket <laughs> my favorite even before then even before then they talk about the nucleic uh, machines themselves, just the nucleic portion of them. All processes involved are nearly noiseless. The motive power is the silent surge of nucleons shifting into more compact arrangements. The entirety of things is based upon, there's no mechanical action. Even if it's powered by nucleics, there's no sound whatsoever. It just sort of levitates up. There's no bearings, gears, anything like that. It's just nucleic magic that causes everything to lift up and down. No, not nucleic power transitioning into mechanical action. There's nothing to do with it. So no I thought that was interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought levitation. the sterilizing radiation grid was uh, the most <laughs> alarming thing. Yeah. And then it translates in. That's that's the large majority, 95% of the, of the land. And then 5% is where the people are, <clears throat> which is madness, where the ticket machine you're referring to, as well as the, uh, the terrifying, you know, sort of prisoner project <laughs> you know guilty until yeah, like, proven innocent prisoner grid that they've got in the calgadian right. justice system i was waiting for like a large white ball to start chasing them at one point we also have like a, an important economic milestone that we uh we understand that to fly from calgan to trantor is roughly 400 credits right mm -hmm. yeah um so that's an important reference point 372.18 credits is what i <laughs> right. got we hit some interesting amounts of money for certain other things a few points in this string of chapters so the most immediate one since i don't have any like highlights between between these events is when after mama mouths off to the policeman big mama yeah big papa and he loves it when you call him Big Papa, by the way. Yeah, of course. He is the notorious um, B.I.G. Notoriously. Yeah. He, so I, I'm he viewing notoriously him, loves when you call him Big Papa. It's basically Notorious Big and his wife, Martin Lawrence, and Drag, Big Mama. Those are <laughs> a couple of these people. <laughs> At least it's not Medea. <laughs> the corpse, the corpse was, of Christopher Wallace, noted rapper, and, and old Martin Lawrence and Drag. Was yes. it Martin Bad Lawrence Mouse. or Eddie Murphy for that? It was Martin Big Lawrence. Mama's house, Mama? I got a, I, I don't know. Big more. Mama's house, I think was. Uh, I think it was Martin Lawrence. I'm pretty sure it was Martin Lawrence. Lawrence but and then what's uh, Eddie Murphy's like? Nutty the, Professor. Nutty yeah. Professor Nutty, yeah. and the family is like all him, right? The crumbs. Yeah, at the table. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then uh, he also had that other one with Norbit. That was also a unfunny Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> not, fat not so funny, but yes. funny. Yeah. Eddie, Eddie Murphy, uh, excessive sort of self-indulgent yeah. movie. Yeah. But yeah, you're, but you're, sorry to interrupt, but your point about the, the 50 credits, I'm guess you're getting at. The 500 credits. Oh, that, so is that what it was? 500 it was, credits? It was like 100 them? credits over the cost of a ticket to Trantor. And that yeah, was the bribe. The bribe to the uh to the guy and uh you know big papa waved it off like oh you don't have to pay me back it's you know like don't worry about it and arcade just like, grease oh, and palms yeah just grease and palms with a with a fi- with a 500 which is apparently a little bit over the cost of a trip from calgan to trantor it's mm. like the cost of a cup of coffee on terminus <laughs> yeah that's what i was gonna say you know it's like the the, the economist sort of big mac guide about what a big Mac costs in all these countries it's like so relevant economic metric the same thing uh, but then since we're on the subject i'll just close it out with the third reference to economic value of of basket of goods type information that uh, arcady gets big papa's attention when she mentions that foundationers during the previous war with the mule were willing to buy an egg for 200 credits so two eggs will get you two eggs on the foundation during wartime will either get you from Calgan to Trantor or get you <laughs> out of part of you know, yeah, <laughs> out of pursuit from the police from a planet wide pursuit. You'll get out of it with two and a half eggs. Worth yeah, for the man, like a lot of my pursuit from the literally the leader of the civilization <laughs> for two eggs must be. Fantastic. I mean, to be yeah. fair, he was mind controlled, and his palms were already greased by like the first foundation, right? And the second foundation, yeah, yeah. So he's already yeah, well, the second by foundation both foundations. Like melted his yeah. brain, right? Like, Either way, like, well, he's, he's clearly... not going to be eating this alpha brainwave for a little he's, while. He's clear, he's clearly open to uh, to bribery. So I'm sure it's that's not the only 500 credit bill that's been passed across. Is like, uh, with only 300 more credits, he could actually go on vacation. So you only yeah, have these aren't the arcades you're looking you know. for. It's pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good bribe for a simple farmer. But yeah, I thought that was that was funny. I thought there was some interesting verbiage that I found. You know, with, when when he goes to the the end where he talks about the mayor of the foundation uh, before when he's right before he's talking to Durrell, he said the mayor of the foundation brushed futilely at the picket fence of hair that rimmed his skull. So on, on that, uh, on that note, Dan, in that scene, I think they talk about this, this befuddled me a little bit. Um, Charmingly befuddled? As somebody who has uh, some military service in my background, I was surprised to hear that the concentrated Calganian forces that were surrounded on three sides, maybe, or maybe it was, you know, three-dimensionally, it was all sides except for one, you know, back, you know, backward facing towards the center of the galaxy. They were surrounded on all sides by the foundation except for one. And that was like a bad, that was like a good position for the Calganians and bad for the foundationers. And it was like about, they were spread too thin and I, I was kind of shocked because I think that that was right after, I mean, if I remember correctly, we've touched on this a few times, I think he wrote this right relatively recently after World War II, right? And I think 
in World War II, the Germans tried to fight a multi-front war, and I don't think it turned out too well for them in the end, even though, you know, forces were spread around them. Um, they were kind of contained and they were not able to punch through like they talked about the Calganians were they were able to concentrate their forces and punch through. Maybe they were in, in snippets, but not as a grand strategy to defeat their enemy. I guess it, I take your point. I mean, if you think about World War Two, if the you know on the Eastern Front in Russia, the German the Germans were advancing if it, they hadn't run into weather concerns in Russia, that that probably would have been a successful outcome for them there. But aside from that, you'd figure that strategically speaking, in the, as they call it, galact, galactography of of the, the map setup, yeah, I think that they're, you know, I guess the, the supply lines become more concerning, you know, when you talk about going through different planets throughout the galaxy as opposed to just doing, you know, across a few thousand miles from Eastern Europe to Western Europe. But our admirals make no secret of our almost hopeless strategic position. All right, the enemy has inner lines of communication. He is concentrated, can meet us on all sides with equal ease. He can defend himself with minimum force. We are expanded. The average distance between inhabited systems is nearly three times that within Calgan. So basically, it just means that they can't. I viewed it as such that like their position is stretched around. It's kind of like a wormhole. Whereas they want to get from one side to the other, they have to go around the whole Calganian point. So you could say that they're surrounded, but it strikes me as it's more of a it's a very thin wall. So like they can be breached easily. So they couldn't possibly defend the entire perimeter of their territory. Right. Because it's they can't thin. concentrate their forces. In they can't any concentrate their forces at any point along there. Way to. Yeah. either attack or defend. Yeah, right? it would strike me that, it, that they wouldn't be able to actually defend their per, entire perimeter. You know, anytime they try to get things together for an attack, they would be extremely weak elsewhere because they couldn't fortify their forces around a certain point because they're defending such a broad perimeter. And they're not able to supply from one side to the other because they have to go around the entirety of the perimeter to get from one side to the next. They can't kind of punch through. That's, that's so, how I... So there was this uh, there was this famous uh, Roman battle where Julius Caesar was. It starts with a T, and it's a forest in Germany. And basically, what it is is um, they tried to they were trying to attack this this you know, group of uh, rebelling warlords, and the rebelling warlords can, like went to uh, a fortified position, and then the Romans surrounded their position and then realized that they were exposed on all sides. And so the way, what they ended up doing was they ended up building a fort around the fort. So it's like a two walled fort that around this original fort. Yeah. Like a donut. And then meanwhile, there's reinforcements from this rebelling warlord, Germanic warlord that come and they, um, they effectively surround, um, the Romans. And so what they ended up doing is they end up, like constantly trying to like push in the various positions and the way that uh, Caesar was able to fight them off is what by like concentrating his forces, like at these selective push points. Well, if you don't have that option to like concentrate your, your forces quickly to like where you are weak, there's going to be a breakthrough and then you're like, everything is kind of lost. Right. So that's, 
I, I forgot about the whole fist analogy. I was just thinking that it was kind of like everything was too spaced out for them to um, effectively defend, like against uh, a concentrated force in any one area, right? It's like, oh, well, I, I have like seven starships defending this one system, and we may have a combined, like, we may have more ships than the Calganian fleet combined, but I can't get them all to like rally a response in uh, a quick enough time that it will make any kind of, you know, significant result in a defense, defensive or offensive strategy. Right? I would think if, if they were able to wrap around the backside and surround them, like you're talking about that, that that might prove to be a strategic point, but it, it seems that, they they're like you're saying three sides they can't actually surround them they can basically just they're they're forced to sort of deal with them on 270 degrees worth of axis without actually being able to to attack them from the rear right so they can all, all of their forces in one direction more or less right. and then you not have to worry about the rear otherwise then you'd think their position would be a lot worse yeah, but, I mean, you also have to remember that you're working in three dimensions here, right? So you have depth as well as like, it's not just like fighting on land, right? It's not, it, you're not dealing with like an yeah. X, Y axis. You have a Z axis that you Good have to point. worry about. Um, yes, an infinite like, Z axis in theory. Right, yeah. And so like that was one of the things they talk about in Ender's Game, right? Is that there's this alien invasion that they have to defend against. And they're like, well, we really can't defend earth like from an alien invasion because they could literally come from all sides of us and for us to have any kind of significant perimeter like we we just don't have the resources on earth to make like a large enough perimeter that we could protect earth and have enough starships to to do this thing um so their solution is not to fight a defensive war it's to go on an offensive war it's a half the premise of ender's game actually is that you know, fighting in three dimensions is really hard for adults, but you mm -hmm. can teach a child to do it as effectively. Um, it's, it's kind of the logic of the story. Well, Jay, uh, I mean, as a military person, I mean, he, 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 focusing on terrestrial strategy, it's a valid point. I mean, you're really only dealing in more or less two dimensions. In space, fighting in space is an entirely different ball of wax. It depends where you are, because if you're, you know, well, if you're on land, you still have air power. You know, there's now there's like space domain. Then if you're on the ocean, you've got undersea surface and air to worry about. So, I mean, there's multidimensional considerations. And yeah, I, I think strategically there's uh, there's a benefit to being able to concentrate forces and punch through like a like a defended border or something like that but then you're immediately vulnerable so if you don't have like the forces behind you to come and establish and and continue pressing um and and maintain your position you know then you're going to get kind of flanked and they're going to you're going to get isolated and then you're going to be fully surrounded and then you're going to be taking fire on all sides you're going to be like earth trying to defend from every dimension of an alien invasion right so you you have to be very very careful about doing that and there's an expression that uh professionals uh don't talk about strategy they talk about logistics and it's about you know that that means i don't i'm sure i'm you know mangling that quote but the idea is that 
yeah, you can have all these like great strategies and, you know, have these, you know, strategic battle moves. But if you don't have the whole inertia of an entire, you know, infrastructure behind you that can push the logistics and send new bullets up front and send food to the troops and, you know, send medical care and vehicles and gasoline and all these supplies that you need to continue fighting. If those supply lines and that logistic isn't laid flat and supporting the troops, then they become isolated and then they become vulnerable. So to me that, you know, the, the, the hand holding the fist, you know, you're, you're keeping the fist at bay. Right. And uh, yeah, if you're super thinned out, you know, you've got like one guard at every the state, you know, along the like the Chinese border wall, right. They, they have the wall, great wall of China and they have these little, you know, stanchions every couple of miles. If you got like one guard on each post, you know, obviously, you know, the wall's there, but if somebody has a means of overcoming the wall, they're going to penetrate. But if you have the ability to mobilize your forces and move them to the areas where you're defending or mobilize your forces and flank the enemy when they attack, then there's, you know, there's obviously counter strategies that will, you know, will work in those situations. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just found it kind of intuitively a little bit odd at first that that was like a, a weakness to have your enemies surrounded on all sides, <laughs> almost all sides. Um, yeah. It's more about, I think he's talking more about the const. They have concentrated force and our supply lines are really long because to get from one point to the other is extremely far distance. And it's like to kind of bring it back to your initial point about the Germans in world war two, that's how they ended up losing on the Eastern front as they ran into the winter in Russia and their, their tanks could lose and <laughs> their soldiers didn't have the right coats and they couldn't get supplies. And they ended up sort of falling short of, of uh, their goal by the right. matter of dozens of miles. But once the winter came, they were basically just sabotaged and their supply lines went down. And then it was it was it was basically straight downhill from there through the entirety entire rest of the war. So it gets back to the point of, that I think. Isimov is making about the length of supply and, and the inability to sort of keep your forces reinforced, like you're talking about, that will basically armies don't march on their boots, they march on stomachs. And, you know, ultimately, that's where they're going to end up falling short because they're not able to supply the entire length of the, of the border they have to. But I don't know that Asimov's some sort of military strat, you know, strategist um, is sort of a... Uh, chauvinistic space man (laughs) (laughs) and i think uh just to bring it back to peter's reference i i did look i did refer to the the such nerd i submitted a request on the such nerds uh, website and i got an email back and they mentioned the battle of tudeberg forest there you go that's the one Is is that the one okay that's exactly the one. Those guys, yeah. those that guys is the at suchnerds.com, they, they know their stuff, and they respond mm-hmm. quickly. Yes. Yeah. Those so. guys, <laughs> whoever they are, kudos to them. But, yeah, the, to get back to our string of, of checklist items, Dan, that was like uh, uh, we were ticking off the technology thing, and they had these, like, three-dimensional maps again, right, where they're looking at the dots of who controls what planet or what red and the star yellow, system yeah. yeah 
Yeah, and I, I mentioned in the summary, like the newspapers is how they learned of the war. I thought about <laughs> that. that classic, too. classic Eisenhower. Calganian newspapers were Calganian. delivered. It just says like ship wars came in from Calgan Way with newspapers from there. Great. How many newspapers do you think they have to send out in a single shipment to make it like cost effective for some? What to are buy? the economics of that calculus? What do you think it costs to like buy one of those newspapers? But I, what I thought was very interesting was. They have poached eggs. That's what Powell wants. Thank you, Dan. There has been no drift in food tastes, breakfast food no. tastes. Poached eggs, Poached man. eggs, toast. They've, the means of making, getting eggs and making toast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poached I mean, eggs. Chickens and bread are highly portable. Sorry, buttered toast. They have butter. They're having like space eggs. He's having eggs muliana. It's a delicious eggs preparation. <laughs> poached poached yeah. eggs with and they're, they're getting trees. milk from something, right? They yeah. they're milking something to make butter. Mm. It's delicious. Mm. From, it's from, the, from the Way milk beetles, of course. <laughs> butter toast. Yeah. How about tobacco? Did you? Uh, did you guys note how Isimov used the the cigar to reflect the attention that Big Papa was giving to Arcadia's explanation of how much money he could make profiteering by selling food to the foundation? Because he didn't even finish. He let his cigar go out unnoticed. Like, that's how distracted he was. He didn't finish his cigar. Yeah, his fat cigar smoldering yeah. between his plump fingers, looking like a beatific pug dog. <laughs> and then she comes out with this convoluted, hey, let's war profiteer, who worked out so great the last time. that he's like, sure. One egg costs 200 credits. Yeah, yeah. They can make 2 million per shipload or something like that. 2 million credits. <clears throat> yeah, as much as 2 million credits out of one trip profit, which that means that Two million credits of profit, I guess, means that their costs are nil. Arcades feeling a little bit down on herself for endangering these simple farmers, which, you know, I finished off, I was like, you know, every every single step along the way, she thinks she knows what she's doing and she's kind of half clued into what's actually going on. And so my sense like that she's a 14 year old girl is, yeah, <laughs> like many 14 year old girls. The, my sense is that. Um, there's a lot more going on than she really knows with these two people. Yeah. I'm surprised she hasn't cut her bangs and like told us what an adult she is yet, and how we're ruining her life. <laughs> well, her parents aren't there. She's she's uh, yeah. out on the lamb, and Papa and True. Mama are just sort of like you know, letting her do what she wants. They're not really like parenting her, and she feels very badly about putting them in these situations. So. You know, they haven't grounded her or taken her phone away or whatever. So I don't think that they've really run afoul of her. And she seems to feel very badly about the situation she's put them in. But something tells me that they have they're more engaged in it. They're less accidental. I mean, they came up to her. So you'd figure. They had I mean, why did they come up to her, Dan? Because it, I, it, these are he, again. She passed like, out. She passed no, she out. Didn't, she didn't like totally pass people. out. She bumped into the papa. Right. Mm-hmm. She bumped right. into and Papa. Then everything he grabbed her. He held her. Because she was passing she out. Was freaking out. 
She was freaking out. I don't think she passed out, Peter. I think she cried on Mama's shoulder. She cried on Mama's shoulder, but that was after Papa had restrained her from moving. Mm. So why... In a totally non-creepy way. Why are Mama and Papa so seemingly aloof? (laughs) This is like another... Their second foundationers, man. It seems like it, right? Yeah. You have to be be a second foundationer. They're knee-deep in all of this. So, yeah... And they put on a good show because, like, Mama doesn't want him to go. Then she wants to go with him. And he tells her, Mama, why do you act like an old lady? I can't take you. It's man's work. What do you think? Man! What do you think a war is? Fun? Child's play? And then she proceeds to call him... Well, then why do you go? Are you a man? You old fool? With a leg and a half an arm in the grave? Let some of the young ones go. Not a fat, bald head like you, which I personally took offense to that, personally. It was very, it was traumatic. As the fat. You're not fat, Jay. As the the fat, bald one. You can't see, because it's like, you know, shoulder up, so you can't really get a sense, but I can assure you. That I have, COVID has driven me to kind of let myself go, which he's I, gotten the COVID nineteen. As but it were. think, if COVID makes everybody fat, then you're not really the, the mean relatively the rising tide. Relatively neutral. Is that what you're rising all ships? <laughs> all everyone, ships everyone is, everyone's ten pounds heavier than everyone. <laughs> nobody's really ten pounds heavier. All humans plumping with the COVID. Yeah, if numerator increases, but denominator also increases. Then you have uni- unity weight. Everyone just moves up the same amount <laughs> well in in light of mama acting like an old lady and papa being a fat bald head i think you know that's like right about where we end before we learn that there's five little words and uh i don't know if there's much more to say until we read more next week jay the question is can you get a symes moth resonator in the range required that's the important question to take away from this week. The answer is no. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Such Nerds podcast. Look forward to our next episode where we will finish the third book in the series, Second Foundation. I have been your host tonight, or one of your hosts tonight, Jason, with my other host and co-hosts or co-hosts. Peter, and hopefully I'll be out of prison by the time the next uh, podcast is rolling. And and Dan from Los Angeles, and I, I really appreciate the authorities for letting Peter extend his phone call for upwards of uh, two hours and ten minutes. Um, <laughs> thank you, taxpayers of Long Island. I mean, it's a public service. Let's be real here. I always like the Suffolk County Police. Good group. Good eggs. 200 credit eggs, those guys. They want to be on the right side of history. That's That's really what it comes down to. What did it take, Peter? A five hundred credit bill? Oh, I uh, I let one of them open a franchise nice. without the uh, initiation fee. Gotcha. Yes, there's a couple so. of credits credits in the back pocket there. All right. That's right. Two at least two eggs worth. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye bye.